This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie Deschal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. This is the last message in a series that we've been doing on provision from heaven. And uh, it's been a bit of a, a journey. Uh, we last week spoke about probably the greatest provision ever, the, the Passover. God made a provision for you and he made a provision for me through the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And that reflected all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And uh, we celebrated the, the Passover. This last weekend we had a Passover meal. We had a uh, rabbi, the, uh, uh, we had the, the kosher pastor here. Uh, he's a, a Christian who practices as a uh, as uh, the feasts as a Jewish uh, as Jewish patterns, and we had a beautiful kosher evening, a kosher dinner, uh, and celebrated the Passover. And uh, so I recommend that you look into that and, and let God develop your heart towards His feasts. But today I'd like to just close out this uh, message on the provision of God, the way that God provides the. Uh, the way that God takes care of us. And uh, before I do, I'd like to just announce about tonight a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that many people get so busy in life that it's very easy to kind of check in and check out with God transactionally. And we forget what it means to be in a relationship with him. And so tonight we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be spending time in his presence. In his presence. And uh, there's a book that was written, oh, probably, I don't know how many years ago, but it was written by a Catholic monk. And his name was Brother Lawrence. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. Some people think that, man, you just have to go get quiet and have a quiet time. No, you can practice the presence of God doing just about anything. But you practice his presence by being cognizant of his presence. Cognizant of who he is in everything that you do. But tonight I want to talk a little bit about that. And then tonight we want to just practice being in the presence of the Lord. Letting God's presence soak us, saturate us. Uh, Once you've tasted of the presence of God... There's nothing quite like it. You know, I just had a thought come to me. Uh, I used to go up to a monastery. It was a place where these Catholic nuns would work. And uh, they had a room there that we could go up and, and it overlooked the city of, that I grew up in, the city of Denver. It was up in the mountains and you could look over the lights of the city. One night I went up and I just took my guitar and I just began to worship God all by myself began to worship God. And I can't explain what happened, but it's almost like a blue light came into the room. But I sensed such presence of God. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was life-changing for me. I felt something, I sensed something that never left me. And there's something about even when we worship in church. I love corporate worship But I love that sense of being in the heavenly places. I love that sense of God's presence. You know, there's nothing quite like the tangible presence of God. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the 
presence of God. We're going to help you step into that presence. And so uh, if, if you say, man, I could just use some of the presence of God. And uh, I, th- I think it would be good for you to come. And just let's step into that, see what God can do, become a little bit more intimate, a little bit more focused on who he is and on some practical ministry. I'd also like to just say this, over the last couple of months, uh, we did a series on facing our giants, which dealt with depression and bondage and anxieties, all the iniquities. And uh, then we followed by a teaching on healing and we had healing services. And you know, we're getting many, many testimonies of people that were set free from that. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear your testimonies. I'd like to hear what God's doing with you. Uh, when God delivers us from something, he always takes us out to bring us in. He delivers us from something to take us into something. He, his goal isn't just to get you out of trouble, but to bring you into a more intimate relationship with him. And uh, that's why I believe that this next step is in his presence. In his presence, there will be fullness of joy. In his presence, there is liberty. So we're going to kick off this series tonight called Marked by His Presence. Amen? Amen? Why don't you just tap your neighbor and say, you know what, I think I might just need some more of His presence. And then consider coming and being with us tonight, okay? Hallelujah. Uh, Today, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. Now, the best way to do this is get your Bible and try to pick right about in the middle of your Bible and open it. Because you'll probably end up in the Psalms or nearby if you just look in the middle of your Bible, okay? Uh, And then just find the 23rd Psalm. And uh, we're going to look at this Psalm. And and this Psalm has been such a source of comfort, such a source of blessing for so many people. I think you all know it. Uh, It's known as the Shepherd Psalm. Uh, We start out with, the Lord is my shepherd. I think everybody would know that psalm. I I think everybody in the whole world knows that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. After that, we kind of break down, but we know at least that part. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? But uh, I love the fact that he is my shepherd. My shepherd doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That simply means that he knows us individually. He loves us perfectly and he provides for us for our every need. He's a provider. Now, the psalmist compares you and I to sheep. Now, I don't know if you know much about sheep, but sheep are very dumb animals. So just tap your neighbor and say, hey, stupid. (laughs) Hey, dummy. That's hard for Zimbabweans, okay? I understand that, okay? But sheep are very dumb animals. They cannot provide for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. And they cannot save themselves. They need a shepherd. And God purposefully depicts you and I as sheep for a reason. When we read through this, and I'm not going to do it today, it's a whole teaching. I've taught many times on this. But you'll see that verse 1 describes the shepherd's partnership 
with the sheep. The, I, we belong to him. He provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And, and I want you to notice that the focus is not on him or on me, but on our relationship together. God is always very relational. The shepherd and the sheep have a relationship. It depicts an idea of contentment, being content. I shall not be in want. The Lord takes care of all my needs. Now, that doesn't mean I get everything I want, but I get everything I need. I'm not in want. The Bible says that he's given us everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. Godliness with great with, with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. So there's something about this quality of godliness. There's something about this quality of, of uh, our needs being met that is really important. Verses 2 and 3 talk about the shepherd's presence. We get of a view of, the, of a day in the life of a sheep. Uh, he makes us lay down in green pastures. He gives us rest. He leads me beside, beside the quiet waters. That's refreshment. He, he restores my soul. Restoration. God's in the business of restoring you and I. He puts us back on our feet when we fall on our backs. He picks us up and puts us up on our, on our feet. He guides us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's replenishment. He's, he's, he's replenishing you. He's building you up. He takes me at the best areas for feeding and for growth. He, he leads me to the best places. He has my best interests at heart. That's the God we serve. That's the shepherd we have. Verse 4, he, we see the shepherd's protection. He has a rod and a staff. I had a graphic I wanted to show you. I couldn't get it transferred. But it's amazing picture. It has a picture of a sheep with a shepherd standing behind him, and then a wolf and a lion facing him. And the sheep is looking at the wolf and the lion, these huge wolf and lion, and it's like the wolf and lion don't know what to do. And I think the sheep in the picture, it kind of feels like the sheep thinks it's him. Meanwhile, it's the shepherd with his staff and his rod who says, don't touch the sheep, Amen. Quite a nice picture. I thought it was quite a, uh, you know, I'll try to get it for next week maybe. Or I'll send it on the, uh, the church app. You guys can look at it. Okay. Very, very interesting picture. You see, and here's, what, here's what I want some of you to understand. I, I just sense that sometimes we, we, we get the wrong picture. That's why God uses a shepherd. God, he's with us all the time. And... Uh, God is with us on all the ordinary days of our lives. Every day. I mean, a shepherd's life is pretty ordinary for the most part. But then it says, he will also go with us when there are days of trouble. When we go through the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And how many of you know that valleys happen to all of us? Just tap your neighbor. Say, valleys happen to all of us. Tap your other neighbor. Say, it doesn't happen to me, but I know it happens to you. I, I, I know that, okay? Jesus said this. He said, in this world, we will have trouble. How, how many of you know that I can't promise you no trouble? How, how many of you know that just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble? You're going to have trouble. 
Now, you can tap your other neighbor and say, we're going to have trouble. You see, and so the shepherd, the good shepherd, leads us through our valleys of trouble. Here's the problem. When we focus on the valley, it breeds fear. But when we focus on the shepherd, we don't have a need to fear. And I see so many Christians and they focus on their valleys. They focus on the shadows. They focus on the evil. They focus on the temptation. They focus on the wolves and the lions. But I'll tell you what, set your affections on the shepherd. I hear the voice of the good shepherd. Another I will not follow. And you have to understand, he carries a weapon. He carries a rod, which is a weapon to protect us, and he carries a staff. And that's an instrument that he uses to care for us, to minister to our needs. I don't know about you, but that knowledge, just the knowledge of that brings me a sense of comfort. God is my shepherd. He protects me. Verse 5 unlocks the shepherd's provision And if we have time today, we'll get to the promise, verse 6. So let's just open our Bibles. Are you there? And let's read Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray today that as we look into this psalm, as we look into your word, that, Father, you would illuminate our eyes, that, Father, you would quicken your word to our hearts, that, Father, we would not have a Bible study, but, Father, a transforming word of power, a revelation of who you really are to us. That, Father, we would have sustenance from this, that we would partake of it, we would eat of it, and it would guide, lead, and direct us this day and throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said earlier, our shepherd, the good shepherd, is with us in our ordinary days, And in days of trouble, when we go through the valley, when we go through the the shadows of death. And he's there to reward us with his love, with his faithfulness. I'll tell you what, it's not because you're a faithful sheep that he rewards you. Remember, you're dumb, you're stupid, you can't protect yourself. Just remember, start thinking of yourself like a sheep today, okay? Everybody just lean over to your neighbor and go, do it softly, just go, Just just practice that. Just go. Just just think sheep today. Just just during the sermon, just humble yourself and think sheep, okay? I had a couple of ladies the other day, and, you know, they they got in this little huddle, and they were talking to each other. And I'd read this book. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm actually 
taking some of this from a book I, that I've had for years, and I, and I just love going through it. But this, the author says that when uh, sheep put their heads together and start rubbing their heads together, he says they're planning on a way to die. <laughs> I'm thinking, I hope they're praying. That's all I hope. I just hope they're praying. So we kind of depicted this, and, 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 and you know, I, I don't want to belabor the first part of it. I want to kind of look at the last two verses, verses 5 and 6. Because when we read these last two verses, it speaks about eating at a table. It talks about oil on the head, drinking from a cup, living in a house. And, and I kind of have to ask the question, well, what does this have to do with sheep? I don't know if you ever read sometimes and you think, I can get the sheep analogy up to a certain point and then I'm, you know, and, and, and the author, this guy, his name is Philip Keller and he wrote the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 and he, he sheds a lot of light on the shepherd's lifestyle. But the author points out that, and, and here's how he kind of bridges this. He says, he says, often large grassy plateaus are called mesas, a word that means table in Spanish or in Mexican, Okay. Now, we're coming from Israel, uh, Hebrew, uh, Greek. I'll let him stretch on that, okay? And he takes the view of the shepherd taking the sheep to these high grassy felt lands, these, these, these grazing areas. Talks about rubbing the oil on the sheep to keep flies and ticks away and that the shepherd provides clean water for the sheep. And I, I think that's all true. But I, I'd like to maybe look at it from a little bit different point of view today. I think what David is doing here in this psalm is that he's using a metaphor, a figure of speech, which is an expression to refer to something that doesn't literally denote or to suggest a similarity. What I'm saying is, he's really saying I'm not a sheep, but I'm like a sheep. The Bible talks a lot about things that we're like, but that we're not. You know, he talks about the church. He says the church is like an army, but we're not an army. Sometimes we're like an army, but we're not an army. I notice in men's meetings sometimes, our men can get very regimented. And, you know, you get a couple of guys and all of a sudden they think that everything's, yes, sir, 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 yeah, yes, yes, sir, yes, yes, ha, ha. That's fine, but, you know, we're not an army. We, we could do some military things and that's fine. And I think men like that regimentation. They like that a little bit, but we can go over the top. We're like a vineyard, but we're not a vineyard. We're like a family, but we're not a family. We're like a, we're like a uh, temple, but we're not a temple. There's lots of pictures in the Bible. In fact, I think there's 15 different pictures in the Bible of what we're like, what we're not. So what God does is uses many pictures and many analogies. I'm not a sheep, but I'm like a sheep. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm not a sheep, but I'm like one. Here's the problem. The problem that comes when we use metaphors is trying to make a metaphor apply to everything. If you're eating lunch with your son and he is chewing with his mouth open and he's making all kinds of grunting noises, I don't know if you have sons like that, but I've had a few, you might say, you might say across the table to him, you're eating like a pig. And then a little bit later, if you go up to his room and look at how messy it is, you might say, your room's like a pig pen. But then... You tell him, I want you to clean this thing up, and he works really hard to clean it up. 
You wouldn't go in and say to him, you're working like a pig. No, you'd say, man, you're working like a horse. And if he runs out to play, you could look at him and say, look, he's skipping like a deer. See, we don't carry the metaphor all the way through for his whole life. This is my son, the pig. <laughs> and I think that's what we see here in Psalm 23. David has been using the sheep shepherd metaphor, but he, as he focuses on the shepherd and how our shepherd cares for us, he changes the metaphor from God being a shepherd to God being a host. And I think that's what I want to look at today is how God is our host. Uh, is it consistent to say that sometimes God changes metaphors? I think God does. In the book of John, I'll give you an example. We see Jesus being presented as the Lamb of God. But a little bit later in John 10, he's the shepherd. In the same chapter, he also says he's the gate for the sheep. So who, is God confused? No, he's using different metaphors to describe the same person. Jesus says that he's the light, the bread, the way, the truth, the life, the vine. In fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and verse 17, we see the metaphor change in the same verse. God writes this, or John writes this, he says, For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. How can the lamb be the shepherd? Because it's Jesus. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he's going to shepherd his flock. And so metaphors can be shifted. They can be changed. I want to make that case really clear before anybody thinks I'm preaching heresy this morning. See, I believe that David in this Psalm 23 is changing his metaphor. And I'd like to look at this new metaphor of God as the host. The host. David writes about God. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want you to know something, in Jewish culture, and I hope someday all of you get to go with us to Israel, but in Jewish culture, a meal is not just a chance to eat, but it's a celebration. It was a celebration of relationships. Jews love to show hospitality. It was part of their custom to invite others to eat at their table. Their culture promoted the idea of hospitality. I like some of the hospitality we show in Zimbabwe. Some people are really hospitable. Now, some of you can work on that a little bit. Just tap your neighbor. I, think I, I say, I think I know who he's talking about there, okay? We have to also understand that in the Bible, eating at a table was also a sign of celebration. Now, when I think of celebration, I have to think of a custom that my family has carried on for generations and generations. And we try to bring people to our home once a year to have what we call a Thanksgiving Day dinner or a Thanksgiving Day celebration. And when I think of our Thanksgiving days as a child especially, and then with my own children, everything you could imagine is on that table. Growing up as a boy, we'd always go to one of my grandparents' house, uh, houses, and later on we would take our children to either Bonnie's parents' house, their grandparents, or my parents' house, you know, my, uh, either one of their grandparents. And uh, our 
parents or our grandparents would put on a spread that would impress anyone. I mean, they would think of everything from dill pickles to Waldorf salad to sweet potatoes to pumpkin pie to eggnog, you name it. I'll tell you, and, and some of that you say, huh? What's he talking about? Well, let me tell you something. There has to be no less than 20 different things to choose from at a Thanksgiving dinner or it's not Thanksgiving. All right? But you name it, my grandparents and my parents had it. And it was a dinner. It wasn't just a dinner. No, it wasn't. It was a feast. It was a feast. It's a banquet. It was a celebration. All I can remember about every one of my Thanksgiving meals is at the end of it, you walk away from the table going, Oh, I ate too much, but I loved every bite of it. I can't wait to do it again because it was so fantastic. So here we see David as he's writing this 23rd Psalm. He's actually focusing on God throwing a celebration, having a party, celebrating him. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The story, the son comes home. What does the father do? He kills the fatted calf. He puts a robe on his back. He throws a party for the son that was lost and is now found. David said, God is hosting a celebration. God is doing something in this story. I know you're saying, well, where do you get that from? How do you know it's not just talking about having supper? Well, you have to have a little bit of biblical history to understand that it's not about just a dinner. The answer is that the table is set in the presence of mine enemies. Now, I know some of you think that the table being set in the presence of your enemies is that your enemy is across the table from you in, in the sense of he's ready to come to war and God sets a table and says, ha, 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 ha. That would be a wrong understanding of this passage of Scripture. If you'll study through the scriptures, you'll find out there are many times that the kings would go and they would destroy their enemies' camps, and then they would bring the king back. And that old king that they just destroyed, they'd make them sit at the table with them. In the presence of their enemies, they would gloat a little bit. They'd make that king eat with them. In some cases, their enemies would eat with them the rest of their lives. There are some cases in the Bible where kings of Israel were taken into captivity. One of those is found in 2 Kings, verse 25, or chapter 25. It says that the king of Babylon, Babylon takes Jehoiachin, the conquered king of the Jews, and brings him to his table. It says that Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. You know what this is? It's God preparing a table in the presence of your enemies. You see, a sign of triumph was bringing the conquered king's on parade to show your great power. Every king would like to parade his enemies behind him as he came home to show that the enemy has been conquered. Even Jesus did this. In Ephesians 4 verse 8 it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
He led captivity captive. I want you to know something. God spoiled the enemy. He destroyed the enemy. And he prepares a table for you and I in the very presence of his enemies. You see, our God is so powerful that he celebrates his victory. David said his shepherd prepares a table of celebration for him. And kind of like what John 16 says. John 16, says this. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. But the verse goes on. It says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, for most people, when they face trouble, it's our focus or it's our first response to focus on the trouble. I can't tell you how many people when I get with them, the reason they need counsel from a pastor, the reason they need to have a cell group, the reason that they need to be in a family is because the tendency is to be paralyzed by fear, by the trouble that we're facing. Often we get snared by our enemies. I can't tell you how many Christians I know that got diverted, distracted like sheep and led astray and they find themselves paralyzed in fear by an enemy that is about to devour them. But it needs a shepherd, it needs a family, it needs somebody to come alongside them and say, wait a minute, this is not inescapable. The good shepherd comes and says, let's stop looking at the lion Let's stop looking at the bear. Let's stop looking at the wolf. And let's start looking to God who can deliver us. There's no weapon that's formed against you that can prosper. There's no enemy too powerful for the situation. If God, if our shepherd can intervene. When we focus on our God, we can celebrate the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.35 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have calamity or are being persecuted or we're hungry or we're cold or we're in danger or we're threatened by death or temptation. Does that mean that he no longer loves us when we face those situations? No, no. Despite all those things, he says there's overwhelming victory that is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. I'm really convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. Death can't. 
Life can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep us away from the love of God. Whether you're high above, in the sky above, or in the deepest ocean, whether you make your bed in hell or you flee to the furthest island in the sea, nothing in all creation is able to separate you from the love of Christ that is revealed through Christ Jesus our Lord. What is it that can separate us from the love of Christ? Only one thing. Your choice and your decision to walk away from it. That's the only thing. You choose, not God. God is the good shepherd. God is the great host. 1 Corinthians says it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see... You and I as believers, sheep, will celebrate the victory God gives by sitting down to a table in the presence of our enemies. God doesn't say we won't have enemies. God doesn't say that our enemies aren't strong. He says, I prepare a table. He says, these enemies are all defeated in Christ Jesus. He says, and I prepare a table for you that will defeat every, that, that is proof to you that there's a defeat of every enemy in life. David goes and he paints this picture a little bit further and as the perfect toast he says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, that's not something we do in our culture. I don't think we do that. I've been to many of your homes, nobody's ever anointed my head with oil or my feet or my hands, okay? I think the first thing that you and I probably think about with our religious background or even through movies and things like that is we think of the anointing of oil as something of either becoming of a, a king or a priest or some ceremonial anointing. But there was another use for anointing in the Bible and it was a way that a host would refresh those who came to dine with him. It was a way of showing his welcome, a way of showing his love uh, to somebody. In our culture, sometimes, I don't know if it is so much now, but I, I remember going to the farm. Uh, I used to go meet with farmers. I'd go out to their farms with them. And I, I remember I would drive up to the farm and I'd get there in time for lunch or dinner. And they would say to me, hey, listen, I'm not spending the night with them or anything. They'd say, would you like to refresh yourself before we eat? And they would have a towel and a bar of soap and let me go into the bathroom. And I would literally give myself a spit bath. I'd wash my face. I'd wash my hands. I would dry off. And I'd come back ready to have lunch. Refreshing yourself. I don't know if we work that hard anymore, that we even do that anymore. 
I think in your culture, I think in, in our Shona culture especially, I, I, I love the idea of before we eat, somebody comes with a, a bowl and a towel. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, this reminds me of Bible days. Can we just go a little further next time and anoint our heads with oil? There's a picture of this anointing in Luke 7. Jesus goes to eat at the house of a Pharisee, Simon. And while he's there, there's a sinful woman. Now, I don't know what a sinful woman is. I'll let you use your imagination. But a sinful woman comes and anoints Jesus' feet with an alabaster box of ointment. And Jesus says to his host, Simon, and I love this story because I can only imagine what's going on here. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> you have to say, Simon is this holy Pharisee. <laughs> and there's a sinful woman in his house. I'm sure he's running around. How did, he, how did she get here? <laughs> or maybe it's another way around. I told her not to come today. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the judge, okay? And, 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 but Jesus is quick to point out, do you see this woman? Ooh, I'm, I'm sure his mind is now spinning. Well, of course I see her. Do you, and, 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 and the Bible says, that if he, he's, he's thinking, he says, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't even be with her. He says, I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven because she has loved much. Wow. You see, a way of a loving host would be to shower honor onto a guest. And the way he would do that would be to anoint his head with oil. See, David feels that the sign of, that, 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 that this sign of gracious love is, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't know about you, but if you have something that's really precious and valuable, you treasure every drop. I read a story the other day about a Russian, in Russia, they're offering bottles of champagne that, champagne that were made in 1907. The Russian Navy did a salvage job on a ship that was sunk before the First World War. And this ship was sunk, or I, I guess it was sunk during, during the, the, the First World War. And... Uh, it was off the coast of Finland. And these bottles, there were bottles of champagne that were made in 1907. And they were resting on the bottom of the ocean uh, since 1916. Now the cost of every bottle of champagne is $275,000 per bottle. Now, I think that's something where you treasure every drop. I'm not sure. I don't know what you do with a $275,000 bottle of champagne. 
Would you like a sip? <laughs> that had better be very, very good champagne. I know one person that will never spend that much money on a bottle of champagne. Or a bottle of anything for that matter. I'm not going to drink $275,000. I can promise you that, okay? If I had all the money in the world, I wouldn't buy that. But somebody's buying it. But I have a, an idea that if you did have that, you would treasure every drop and you wouldn't want to waste any of it. But an overflowing cup means that the host has plenty. Drink all you want. There's more where that came from. There's an abundance of supply. You see, a good host keeps the cup full because there's plenty. It's a sign of abundance. Don't worry about spilling it. Why? The, well, the host is well supplied. So what does John, what does Jesus say about this? In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I think King James says that I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Verse 11 goes on in the Psalm 23 and says, not only does he say that he wants you to have your head anointed with oil, seated at a table, and, 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 and abundance of supply, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I, 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 or, or I mean, here with, with Jesus, he says, I'm the good shepherd in verse 11. Here the idea of abundance is tied to the idea of God being our shepherd. I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever been to a really fancy banquet? I don't know if we even have those in Zimbabwe anymore. There was a time that there was a fancy banquet here. And there was all the protocols observed. I'll never forget the time we took a number of our staff way back in when everything worked. <laughs> when things had some decorum. And we took some of our staff to the Leopard Rock Hotel back when it was still the epitome of everything. Amazing. <laughs> and I'll never forget some of these staff members, some of our team, some of our pastors had never been to a hotel. And they went with their bags, got off the bus, and the staff came running to take their bags. Nobody's going to take my bag. All my life possessions are in this bag. No, no, it's okay. They will take it to your room for you. People were not happy. I heard stories later. You know, this is where in the hotel they have towel racks with steam in them. So your towels are heated. Beautiful bed. I heard people jumping on the beds. I'm just saying. But I'll never forget, you must be down for dinner. Dinner starts promptly at 7 o'clock. They came to the dining room. 
The waiters were in tuxedos. Some had white gloves on. Seating people. And I'll never forget the look on the face of some of our staff. As they purviewed and saw 15 pieces of silverware. Four glasses. A cup turned upside down. A side plate. And had no idea. Why on earth would you need all that? I'll never forget the first course was delivered. The first course was delivered. And nobody moved. All eyes immediately went to Pastor Bonnie. And when she reaches out and takes the little tiny fork at the end and begins to dip into the appetizer, 60 hands. Now, I won't bore you with the whole meal, but the giggles and the laughter when they brought ice cream after the second course, sorbet to cleanse your palate. But for everybody, it was like, we're having dessert already. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But the one thing that fine banquets do is minute you turn your cup over, it means that the coffee can come and it keeps coming because <laughs> there's an abundance of supply. Your cup runneth over. I sat down. The first thing I did was turn my cup over. Before I could hardly get the cup over, my waiter was there. Shh. Would you like cream? Would you like milk? Yes, yes, yes. And all night long, hot coffee was being poured. What's that? Now, we stayed awake all night because of the caffeine. You see, if you desire coffee at a fine banquet, you just turn your cup over. A good waitress or a good waiter knows that that's their signal, that's their for your desire for coffee. If you want the coffee, just turn your cup right side up. The problem is that today many of us have our cups down and we're trying to live the abundant life with upside down cups. There are many people that live for themselves. We focus on pleasure, we focus on money, we focus on entertainment. We almost have an attitude that says, okay, God, just try to reach my heart. And then we wonder why we aren't enjoying the abundant life that God promised. Remember the picture I painted when we started? Think of the sheep again. Just lean over to your neighbor and go, bah. <laughs> lean the other neighbor, bah. A sheep needs protection needs to be led, 
needs provision. A sheep is needy. But when you and I are self-sufficient, we're all figuring our own way to meet our own needs, we're trying to defend ourselves, I think the Lord kind of steps back and says, well, go right ahead. See how that works out for yourself. But as a good shepherd, he's always there. He's waiting for you to let him shepherd you, to let him be your provider, to let him bring provision to your life. You see, David depicts the abundance. David depicts the anointing and the celebration all flowing out of a relationship with the good shepherd. And so it is. It's all about relationship. And our blessings in life, all of them flow out of our relationships. We have an abiding relationship. When we abide in our relationship, when we abide in the vine, when we stay with Christ, I'll tell you what, in turn, we'll have an overflow in our lives that'll be a blessing to other people. I think David, by changing the metaphor from sheep to the shepherd as a welcoming host, he also sees this as an ongoing relationship. Look at verse 6. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, I will be pursued by good. Good's going to follow me. I'll tell you what, more than 40 times in the scripture, the Bible says this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Everybody just say that with me. Say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. I think we should say it again. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Can I tell you something? God loves to bring good into your lives. God delights in bringing good to your lives. And when you follow the Lord, when you follow him with your whole heart, he brings goodness. He brings good. He brings love into your life. In fact, the word in the Bible, Snixie, the word in the Bible is hesed. Hesed. They named their daughter hesed. Hesed. What it means is love, mercy. Tender mercies, loving kindness. I tell you, it's a lot more than the idea of love. It really carries the idea of covenant loyalty. Do you remember the story of Ruth? We just read it this week. If you're in your daily reading program, Ruth was the daily reading. Or in, it was just after Judges. We read all about Ruth. We're in Samuel now. I love Samuel. But here's this pretty young widow. And she chooses to return to a foreign country. She's a Moabitess. She goes to a foreign country with her mother-in-law. And it's amazing. She doesn't run after all the young, good-looking men. But she chooses to turn to what's called her kinsman redeemer. She turns to a relative whose name is Boaz. And he's the one who rightly should fulfill the covenant obligations to her. In Ruth chapter 3, Boaz praises her for her kindness in not turning to the young men, but choosing him. I think one of the 
best illustrations I've ever heard of this story is a man named Dave Rover or Reaver. I don't know if you've ever heard of his story, Dave Reaver. And uh, you may have seen his video on YouTube. You may have seen it. He's, he was quite popular about 10 or 15 years ago uh, in the preaching circuits. But David was, a, uh, was injured in Vietnam. He was a Navy SEAL. And he had taken a white phosphorus grenade and, it been, and, and that grenade had come into uh, amongst all his mates. He grabbed it and was throwing it out of the foxhole or, or wherever they were at. And it exploded in his hand. It burnt his hand completely off and burnt his face. Terribly, terribly burnt his face. But he saved his company and he saved him and, 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 and he lived. But because of this, much of his face and his hand were gruesomely disfigured. When he was shipped back to the United States, laying in a burn hospital, his wife Brenda walked in. She had to check the chart at the end of his bed and his dog tags to make sure it was the right man in the bed. And she went up and she kissed this man on his disfigured face. And she says, I want you to know that I love you. Welcome home, Davy. That is covenant love. That is said. That is the love that is not based on appearances. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on happiness. It's not based on happenings. It's based on commitment. That's what God says here. He says, when David says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's the love he's talking about. By the way, the house of the Lord, at this time the temple hadn't been built yet. He wasn't talking about a temple or he wasn't talking about a tabernacle. He was talking about, I don't think he was really talking about heaven either. Maybe. But I think more than anything, I think he was talking about being with Yahweh. Being with God forever. You see, wherever God is, that's where heaven is. Wherever God is not, that's where hell is. The Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? David's telling us that it's God who's providing a celebration of relationship. And he wants to enjoy that relationship forever. What's the thing that's going to carry you and I through life? What is it? I can tell you right now. It's the relationship we have with God and the relationships we've made in God. Let me just bring you a couple more points here. Lamentations 3 says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Today, when we think of our relationship with our shepherd, we have hope. We have hope to face any trial 
Why? Because we know that our shepherd partners with us. He's with us. He provides for us. He protects us. And he's the host who will celebrate us for eternity. Listen to what Corinthians says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for him, for the one who loves him. I want to close. And I want to give you two final thoughts and a challenge. First of all, make sure he's your shepherd. Make sure that Jesus is your good shepherd. If you've never made a commitment to become a Christian, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to the good shepherd, that's the first step in receiving all the blessings that we've just been talking about. Second, I want you to celebrate your relationship with the Good Shepherd. I want you to know God wants to celebrate you. God wants you to be celebrated. Let your mind every day consider the blessings that God brings to you, that he brings into your life. Ephesians 3.20 is my favorite verse in the book of Ephesians. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work on the inside of us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I have a lot that I can imagine. And he says he's going to do more than I can imagine. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.